Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this class from our Equip Ministry will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. Father God, we thank you for uh, your love for us and uh, the confidence that we have in um, our eternal home in Christ. And uh, we just lift up June's sister, Fern, to you and just pray that you would bring her comfort um, here in her last days and that you'd comfort June as well as she mourns the loss of uh, her sister back in September and now Fern uh, not doing well. And we just pray that you would uh, show yourself faithful to them through this time and to glorify yourself uh, through these hard things. And uh, we confess that we trust you and that we know you do what's good and best. And I just ask that you give us help as uh, we seek to walk by faith in you uh, through this life. And we ask for help as we look at your word tonight, that you would make it clear and that we'd uh, trust in Christ and uh, walk with him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, So, we're going to cover several verses this week, uh, 15 through 23. Um, But before we do that, we have these Colossian journaling Bibles, free if anyone would like one. Or if you need a stocking stuffer for somebody, or a present, (laughs) you could take one (laughs) and uh, give it away. So, does anyone want one now? Uh, we have lots, so it's New King James. You guys are thinking about it. I'm trying to think if I'll actually it. You can give it away. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. All right. Well, anyone online, too, that wants one, we can get you one, wherever the camera is. <laughs> I don't know where we're going here. Um, there's more up here if anyone wants one. I personally like those, but it's just hard to like not use my Bible. So I'm, I'm always torn of which one to use, but they're, they're really helpful too. So, okay. So as we've been looking through the book of Colossians, uh, we've been thinking about why it was written. So in the Colossian church, Uh, The church had been facing um, false teachers who had been promising uh, different ways to experience God's presence and blessing through uh, pursuing other means of knowing God other than through Christ. And so the book of Colossians really focuses in on who Jesus is and how he's enough. And especially the text we're going to look at today um, is all about who Jesus is. So the key verse is Colossians 2. Uh, 9 and 10. Those are two verses, key verses. That's helpful. Uh, For in him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So uh, it's tempting to look to all sorts of things for fullness and completeness, um, but we find that in Jesus. So our Uh, The theme of the class is how to live life in our supreme and sufficient Savior. Uh, The book is uh, generally broken up into two segments. 
the first part is focused more on Christian thinking, and the second part is more focused on Christian living. So there's both of them intermixed in between, um, but the second half is especially practical, and the first half is especially uh, doctrinal. So as we get into Colossians 1, 15 through 23, we're going to see tonight that we need to um, that Jesus is preeminent, so we need to live a reconciled life. <coughs> uh, I had a friend who uh, had an uncle who was very generous, and he really liked to go shopping with this uncle because the uncle would offer to buy him all sorts of stuff. <laughs> and uh, I kind of question how much he actually enjoyed his uncle and, and you know, wanted to be with his uncle for the sake of loving his family and loving his uncle as a person. And so he kind of uh, enjoyed and loved his uncle for the sake of what he got from his uncle. So it's not a super beautiful uh, relationship or example of family love or anything like that. Uh, and I think that's sometimes what can happen in the Christian life, and I think that's what Colossians is addressing as well, is sometimes we like God for the things that he gives us instead of for God himself. And that's what Paul's going to address in this text is this is what Jesus is like. He's the best, and you should love him, is, is the point of the text. So... What are some things that, that we can fall into? Uh, I think in chapter 2, we'll study uh, some of the things that they were struggling with in some legalism and mysticism. And maybe we don't struggle with those as much. Uh, they were struggling with worshiping God uh, through angels and even worshiping angels themselves in 2.18. Um, uh, there are several things down, there, down through there where they're avoiding... Um, certain things in verse 21, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, uh, staying away from things, thinking that'll make them closer to God. And God is saying, no, these things don't make you closer to God. Some of these things are good and right and we need to do, but we're close to God because we're in Jesus and he's awesome. So some things we might struggle with is I really like being a Christian um, because God makes me feel better about myself. Um, I really like being a Christian because being a believer, I get to have Christian friends, and I'm not as lonely. I have uh, something to fill my schedule with the events of church. Uh, another thing would be I really like the idea of having God's hand of blessing over me as a child of God. Uh, being a child of God gives me a sense of security, um, I like how I can participate as a believer in a church in certain hobbies. I get to play the piano or in the orchestra or uh, to sing in choir. Uh, I like a place where my kids can uh, learn the Bible and be safe and have good friends. And so none of these things are bad things. These are actually great benefits of being a believer in Christ and uh, the things that come along with that. But Sometimes we can like the uncle for the things we get from the uncle instead of just loving our uncle because he's our uncle. And sometimes we can uh, love Christ because of the way we feel from the benefits that we get from being a believer instead of loving Christ for who he is. And so I think as we work down through, especially verses 15 through 18, um, in these descriptions of what Jesus is like, 
Paul is just really exalting the character and the preeminence of Christ and how we should love him for the sake of who he is, not because of what he gives us. So Christ is enough in and of himself. He has the fullness of God within himself, and we are complete in him. We don't need anything else. Uh, being united to him is all that we need. So we're going to break it up into three sections as we look through it. So the first one is that Jesus is supreme over all creation. And uh, it didn't lo- doesn't look like the underlines copied over. So supreme is the blank uh, in your handout there. And so we'll be looking through verses 15 through 17. So Jesus is supreme over all creation, and then we'll see how Jesus is supreme in the church. And then we'll look at how we've been reconciled to God through Jesus. So first here, uh, in what ways is Jesus supreme over all creation? So we'll see in verse 15 that Jesus is the divine ruler. So ruler is your blank. Uh, So look at verse 15 with me. It says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So on first reading of that, we could uh, look at that and see how that could be understood as Jesus being a created being. So we're made in the image of God, and we're a creation. But that's not what uh, this is talking about here in verse 15. Uh, He is the image of the invisible God. So Jesus in and of himself is the image of the invisible God because he is God. It's not something that uh, like is said of us that we, you know, God said, let's make man in our image and we were created to be in the image of God. Jesus was never created. Uh, He reveals and is the actual image of the invisible God. And then the second description there. Uh, He's the firstborn over all creation. So again, this could be taken, uh, if we misread it, as that he uh, is a creation of God, uh, the first creation of God. But that's not the intention here. Um, Firstborn can either refer to time, like this is my oldest child, he's the firstborn because he was born first, or it can refer to rank in the sense of authority and privileges and uh, you know, inheriting uh, the family, wealth, and estate, and all that type of thing of that culture. And so it's meant to be taken in that sense that he is, uh, because he has the fullness of God himself, he's the, he shows us the very image of what was previously invisible, and he's also first in rank over all creation. So these are things that refer to how Jesus is the divine ruler. And... He's the only one that's like this. He's the only one that has shown us exactly what God is like as the image of God. And he's the only uh, firstborn over all creation. He's the one that uh, has all of that authority. So uh, secondly, uh, we see why he's uh, given authority over all things in creation. It's because he created them. Uh, God used him to create these things in verse 16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. So Paul doesn't want there to be any mistake uh, on anything missing of what Jesus uh, created. 
So he, he gives some extremes here. You know, everything that's um, in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, uh, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. Uh, so he kind of gives us these extremes to say, Jesus created everything. There's nothing that was created that Jesus didn't create. Uh, so uh, referring back to the Father in verse 12, uh, it's talking about how the Father by him made everything. And so Jesus was the one through whom all things were created, and they were created for him. And that's really interesting in verse 16 that uh, all things that are created are for Jesus. Uh, that they're not just you know, randomly out there or whatever. It's, it's made with a purpose, and they belong to Jesus. Uh, we're not sure what you know, the thrones or dominions, principalities or powers are. Uh, in Ephesians, it talks about a similar list that's most likely an angelic ranking. And so you think about um, in this book specifically and other times, people worship angels. And when angels appear to people, uh, you know, the angel's like, don't worship me and don't be afraid. Because <laughs> people are freaked out when angels appear because they're these uh, amazing creatures. And God made all of them. Jesus, Jesus made all of them. And uh, they were created through him and for him. So, as we think through uh, the, uh, the shadows of things that we go to to find completeness, sufficiency, fullness, uh, these just pale in comparison to who the person of Jesus Christ is. And so as we work through these, just really pay attention to, am I you know, finding the sufficiency of my life, the purpose of my life in the person of Jesus? Um, not just in the good things around me, which are things that Jesus even created, but am I finding my, my sufficiency in the Supreme One uh, myself? Uh, so not only did he create everything, but in verse 17, he, he sustains everything. So he's eternally uh, holding all things together. So in verse 17, it says, And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So before could be taken as either a rank or time. So he's before all things, like he's at the top, or he's before all things, he existed before. I think it's a temporal thing where he's, he's existed before anything else. Um, it seems to be the, the context here. And in him, all things consist. Um, and so that's kind of the idea of, you know, things hold together. Jesus is keeping all things held together. Um, I remember in high school, we studied like the atom and protons and electrons. And, you know, they have diagrams of stuff, but they tell us, like, no one's actually seen how this stuff works. Uh, we just know that these things are present in there, and we're not sure how, like, the electrons hold on. And so I don't know if people have figured that out since then. Um, but there's other things uh, in the scientific world. They, they call... Um, they think the, the universe is made up largely um, percentage of dark matter. 
And it's just fascinating to hear or to read articles where they discuss uh, like dark energy and dark matter because they make all these assumptions off of it about what it is and everything, but they readily admit that no one's ever observed dark matter. And it's like, <laughs> you're, and they base all of their scientific perspectives of how like the world began and all these things on dark matter, but they've never even seen it before. It's just something they think is there. And so I don't understand it all, but uh, it's fascinating to me to see that we all have faith in where the world came from and how the world keeps going on. And uh, we trust that Jesus is the one doing that. He's the one that created all things. Through him, all things were made. And then he's uh, holding them all together. He's making it continue on as it was. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like when they get back or, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I find it hard to believe that you could uh, observe the universe on that scale and, and not be moved. But I think people are um, somewhat locked in on their presuppositions and their, their beliefs about what they believe to be true of the world. And uh, they're not easily swayed by that. So... I think to us, it's like, wow, God's creation is beautiful. Like, this is amazing. Um, but to other people, it's just, it's, it's still beautiful, but, you know, they don't give God the glory for it. Right. They don't, they don't understand that it came from Jesus. Uh, so, yeah, Jesus is supreme over all creation. Uh, do you guys have any uh, thoughts on how these, the aspects that we studied here play out in our lives um, and how that encourages us in our walk with the Lord. Yeah, it shows his design and, and making things, and yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I know in my life, um, you know, I'd read through that and be like, yes, this is who Jesus is, this is awesome. 
Um, but then it's easy to live my life like Jesus isn't those things and that he didn't do those things. Um, so that's probably where I see it show up the most personally is, you know, is my attitude <laughs> showing that I believe that Jesus is supreme over all creation um, is my attitude uh, such that uh, people would see that I'm trusting in Jesus and not in my circumstances around me. Um, but it shows up in all sorts of ways um, in life. Anybody have any other thoughts on that? I think in a world that um, is driven by you, you, you all the time. Mm -hmm. You do what you want, you feel what you want, you're a woman or a man or a transgender, whatever it is. Yeah. These truths are so important that uh, he controls everything, right. including you. Uh, and as a believer, he's been, you've been bought with a price. So that is an extra layer of even the redemptive power. But just it's, this truth is so important. like. Being a scientist or going to science, I mean, you didn't believe in those things, obviously, because you have the, you have, you know, God's word to say, but it's not true. So, mm -hmm. for, for the young young people in our lives, teaching them, okay, you have to pass a science class, but you don't have to believe those things. Right. Learn, take the test, answer, but the truth is rooted in the word. I think that's crucial. To know. Yeah, that's great, Sam. Thank you. And I think it's helpful to remember too that. We're creations of God, and it's easy for us to uh, wish that God would have made us differently, or had us be born into a different family, or you know all these things that uh, can doubt God's goodness and rule uh, that's supreme. And uh, we often don't think when we're complaining about a situation or somewhere God has us that we're doubting his goodness and his sovereignty but that's that's what we're admitting is right now I don't believe that you know you have my good at, at heart and uh, but he promised that he would work all things for our good and so yeah all right we'll keep thinking about that uh, we'll look now at verse 18 or sorry verses 18 through 20 and here we'll see that Jesus is supreme over the church. So I think church is your blank. Um, and in these verses, uh, we'll see four reasons why Jesus is supreme over the church. So before we saw how Jesus is supreme over the creation, and now it zeroes in more narrowly to God's people in the New Testament, the church. So first... Uh, we see that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. So in verse 18, it says, and he is the head of the body, the church. Uh, we're familiar with the body language for the church from 1 Corinthians 12 um, and places like that, um, where Paul discusses how amongst ourselves, we're all members of one body. So, you know, the eye can't say to the foot, I don't need you. Um, you know, we're all together in this and we all work together to make the body function. Uh, so here in Paul's discussion of Christ, he focuses on where the body gets its direction, its authority, its sustenance, its care, and that's in the person of Jesus Christ. He's 
the head of the body. So you think of, I don't know if you've ever seen a chicken with its head cut off, but it keeps going for a while. <laughs> and it's not a pretty sight. It, you know, it doesn't know where it's going, it runs into stuff. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not a good long-term plan. So it's the same for the church. If, if we seek to be a body independent of our head, then we're not really a church anymore. We, we've lost the whole point of being a church, which is following Jesus. So there's a lot uh, fit into uh, this you know, little illustration that Paul uses here. Um, but yeah, what are some ways that the head, just thinking about our physical bodies, what Paul uses as the illustration, what are some ways the head is essential to the body? Or what does the head provide for the body? <laughs> right, direction, good. My sister's got dementia. Mm-hmm. And it's like she, she, she'll talk plainly and then all of a sudden she won't remember hmm. things and won't remember where, like the bathroom is mm-hmm. or where something. You know, That's really hard. If you don't function, your body isn't functioning in the right way. Right. That's good. What are some other ways? <coughs> it regulates all your body systems so yep. they all work together. Yeah, very good. Yep. Yep. When uh, yeah, you get a head cold or whatever, and I don't know some things can get off. And uh, you guys ever like had a what's it called when you like lose balance? Vertigo. Vertigo. Yeah, that's not fun. <laughs> Good. Any others you think of? here. Another one I thought of is, uh, you guys have mentioned these, but care for the body. Uh, you know, if your nervous system stops communicating to your brain that, you know, that's hot or that's sharp, you know, things like that, then parts of the body start to get hurt. Um, yeah, you guys mentioned control and so the head is essential to the body and Jesus provides this for uh, his church. He is the supreme one whom we are to, to follow and to submit to as individuals, but here specifically talking to us as a church body. And so we're, uh, we must follow Jesus who is our head, and to not do that would be to our own detriment and demise. Um, so we, uh, we need to follow Jesus, the head. So that's the first way Jesus is supreme over the church. Uh, the second way is that he is the preeminent founder of the church. I think founder is uh, the blank in your handout. Uh, so there's kind of three descriptions here. 
um, of why he is that in the second part of verse 18. So it says, who is the beginning? Um, so this could be, this is probably best taken as he's the, the founder, the, the beginner, the, the starter of the church. He, he started the church himself. Um, the firstborn from the dead. Uh, this is really helpful for us. It talks about how Jesus' resurrection is essential for the church. And we know this uh, from Paul's teachings in other places that, uh, you know, the thing of first and greatest importance is the gospel, how Jesus died for our sins and rose again. Uh, but here specifically, it says that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. I think here it's talking about uh, he's the first one to be resurrected is the idea. So you might be thinking, well, what about Lazarus, who Jesus rose from the dead? Uh, Lazarus, he was resurrected in a way, but it was more of a resuscitation. So Lazarus died, and he was raised to life to die again. When you're truly resurrected, who Jesus was the first, you're risen to life from death, never to die again. So Jesus is the first one to be resurrected. Uh, he's uh, the firstborn from the dead, and Scripture breaks um, up the resurrections into two. So there's the resurrection of the righteous, and there's the resurrection of the unrighteous. And the resurrection of the righteous has three phases. There's Jesus, and then there's the church at the rapture, and then there's uh, tribulation saints and Old Testament saints at the end of uh, the tribulation. So there's kind of three different phases of the resurrection of the righteous. And then the resurrection of the unrighteous occurs after the kingdom uh, when God judges everyone who hasn't trusted in him. So Jesus is the firstborn from the dead and specifically the firstborn um, from the dead for the righteous. And uh, that is what gives us a church and that's something we all have in common is we will all be resurrected because Jesus was resurrected. And so it's one of the commonalities that everyone in the church has in common. And his resurrection guarantees that all those who have trusted in him will be resurrected as well. Uh, and then the last phrase there, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Um, so he's... He, he start, you know, he's the head of the church. He started the church. He's the first one to be resurrected. Um, and he's preeminent in this, or he's first in all these things and has authority in all these things so that he might have the preeminence. So preeminence means that he has first place. He's the best and the one to receive the honor and the glory. Uh, so yeah, he's, he's preeminent and supreme over the church. And uh, it's encouraging that he founded the church, he began it, but he also is the head of the church. So he didn't just, you know, push the boat off from shore and said, you know, see you in the kingdom. <laughs> he's, he's still leading us and guiding us as our head. Um, and then the last way uh, we see that Jesus is supreme over the church is that he is the fullness of God in the church. So in verse 19, it says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. And this is helpful uh, for the uh, Colossian church 
because um, they will they'll later struggle with Gnosticism, where they believe um, you know that you can experience God in a different way, and uh, that there's special secret knowledge that you can have. Um, but Paul is very specifically pointing out that the Father is pleased that all the fullness of God should dwell in Jesus. So if we want to know what God is like, we're able to look at Jesus. There's nothing that God is like that Jesus doesn't have. He has everything that God is like. Uh, so he shares the same uh, nature and essence as the Father and the Spirit, um, who we can't see. They're, they're spirits. They're invisible to us. Um, but we can see Jesus, and we can see what God is like by looking at Jesus. So that's really helpful for us, that Jesus is uh, the fullness of God. So the, the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. And then in verse 20, and by him, by Jesus, this is the Father working, to reconcile all things to himself. So Jesus sent Jesus to die on the cross and rise again, so that through him, the Father could be at peace with all things, that, that he could reconcile them uh, to himself. By him, whether things, on sorry, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So the last way that Jesus is supreme is that he has made a way for, the, for all things to be at peace with the Father through the blood of the cross. Um, so this is sometimes what we call the propitiation um, that Jesus accomplished. So his death on the cross was a wrath-removing sacrifice. So God's wrath towards our sin was satisfied in his punishment of Jesus on the cross. Uh, so through his blood, uh, there can be peace uh, between God and his, or between the Father and his creation. Uh, one other thing I'll mention, I think, here um, about the fullness of Christ. Uh, if you look down to chapter 2 and verse 9, one of our key verses, it says, For in him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So this is a key theme in Colossians, that Jesus has the fullness of God in his body. So just, uh, just because he became a man and took on flesh... He didn't lose any part of who he was before as God. He's still fully, truly God. Um, and I think there's something fascinating that happens uh, in the church that Ephesians 2 draws out better. But we are the body of Christ, and there's a sense in which we can display the fullness and glory of God as his body. So the fullness of God dwells in Jesus' body, and then he is making his own body out of believers, and we have the opportunity to display the fullness, the fullness of God. So if you want to think more about that, we could look at Ephesians 2 sometime, but we don't have time for that tonight. But this is the, the foundation for the church, is the supremacy of Christ, uh, that he is supreme over all things, and his blood is the foundation of that. Uh, so yeah, let's think through uh, point number two here, thinking through Christ's supremacy over the church. Uh, how does this help us uh, and these different points in our personal lives, 
then also as a body in the life of the church. Yeah, exactly. Is the uh, PowerPoint glitching? <laughs> Perfect. This, uh, before we started, this was overheating. <laughs> so we turned it off and back on and it's working, so. Keep thinking about that. Uh, one thing I want to point out about these first verses we studied is notice how they're not argumentative. So it's not exactly like Paul saying, you know, Jesus is great because of this and you should trust him more. He's just pointing out facts about who Christ is. Um, so some speculate that this was maybe uh, like a hymn or a doctrinal confession uh, that the church maybe recited um, early on. Uh, but it's, it's a lot of truths about Christ. And I think it helps us in our Christian life is that it would almost be foolish to not live according to these things. And there's a sense in which uh, we could scoff at the name of Jesus by losing sight of these in the Christian life. Uh, because we you know, because we have peace with God through Jesus and he has supremacy over all his creation and his church, um, you know, what fools would we be to, to reject that and to not, you know, trust in him completely and walk with him? So I don't know if that's why, you know, he just kind of lists things there, um, but that uh, could be helpful. I think I forgot to put up the last one. So uh, verse 20, Jesus makes peace with God for all. Uh, any thoughts or questions on uh, these first verses that we've studied? <coughs> Colossians is a relatively short book, but there's a lot packed into it um, that we could spend a lot of time thinking through. If we think of something, feel free to raise your hand. Uh, the last thing is that now we can live a reconciled life. So we need to remember that we were enemies with God. So look at verse 21 with me. And you who were, sorry, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, now, uh, yet now have, he has reconciled. Uh, so Paul kind of, turns from talking about how great Jesus is, and now he turns to the believers in Colossae and points at him and says, you guys, you guys were once aliens, not from another planet, but strangers, uh, foreigners, someone far from uh, knowing God, and you were enemies. You know, you didn't just not know about God, uh, you were enemies against him. Uh, so both in our minds, so we, we had wicked thoughts and thoughts of rebellion and rejected God in our minds, but also in what we did by our wicked works. Yet, and this is a great change, 
uh, that's listed here, yet now he has reconciled. So what's amazing about what uh, God has done here is that usually when we're reconciling, the offending party is the one who needs to instigate and say, well, will you forgive me? Can we be reconciled? But what happens here is uh, the one who has been offended makes a way for the offender to be reconciled to himself. And so we offended God. We we're enemies and strangers from him and wicked. And we were at war with him. And in that time when we were enemies of his, he made a way through Jesus for us to be reconciled to him. And so it's a beautiful picture of the gospel here that the offended makes a way for the offender to be reconciled back to himself. And so why wouldn't we uh, live differently knowing uh, that when we were far away, when we were uh, at war against God as enemies, uh, he brought us near uh, through Christ. So we need to remember that we were enemies. Uh, that's helpful. You know, it's easy to kind of get in a rut and think, you know, I deserve this from God and I, I wasn't that bad when God saved me. Next, we're going to look at how we can rejoice that we are reconciled. So at the end of verse 21, Paul points out uh, a change. We were once alienated and enemies from God by our wicked works, yet now he has reconciled us. So that's a, that's a change from what we were. Uh, we can be at peace with God. Uh, verse 22 answers how God did this. Uh, in the body of his flesh through death. So the bodily death of Jesus Christ on the cross is what has brought us peace with God. Uh, Jesus per purchased our reconciliation. And so our reconciliation wasn't something uh, cheap or easy to come by. It's not something we should just read over and uh, not think about. It came at great cost to God in the life of Jesus himself. And so that's one way we can uh, live a reconciled life is, is remembering what we were and rejoicing at what God has done for us. And then in the second part of verse 22, we kind of see one of the purposes for why God reconciled us. That's letter C, realize that you are, that we will be perfected. So it says to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So God had uh, this purpose for us in his reconciliation of us to himself. He wanted to put us in a new state of being at peace with him. And I think this is referring specifically to the time in the future when we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will be presented holy, blameless, and above reproach. And we often talk about this in terms of justification where we have Jesus' righteousness applied to our account and we are viewed by God as righteous in Jesus. And then the last way we can live a reconciled life is by being faithful. So in verse 23, we see Paul lay out um, how they can continue in the faith. So he wrote, if indeed you continue in the faith. Now this might sound like Paul is questioning whether or not the believers in Colossae will be faithful, but this can be read as an expression of his confidence that they will. Uh, notice that he says, if indeed, 
And uh, if in Greek is the same word that, uh, based on context, can be taken as since. And so I think since the indeed is there as well, this shows us that Paul is instead expressing his confidence that they will be faithful. And so you could read it as, since indeed you continue in the faith. So he's encouraging them and showing his confidence in them. And so what does it look like to continue in the faith as a believer in Christ? Paul describes it as grounded and steadfast. These words both describe what it means to continue in the faith. Uh, They're both building terms and refer to Jesus as the foundation and holding power in our Christian walk of faith. And uh, grounded means uh, that you have the foundation of Christ uh, with you. And then Paul describes what steadfast means in the next phrase. And are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. So we are not to be moved as believers. We keep our eyes focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ and depend on his sufficiency uh, to continue to move forward in the hope of the gospel. And then lastly, Paul describes his own hope as uh, apostle and believer to continue in the ministry which he's been given by God. And so he says, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a minister. And so Paul is confident in the sufficiency of the gospel. The gospel is going out and he is excited to see what God will do and how he can continue to be faithful in his ministry uh, to believers around the world. Uh, that's the uh, text, that, the end of the text that we'll look at for tonight. Uh, we have some application to look through together. And I've broken this up into kind of the three sections we looked at. So uh, we're going to first consider how Jesus is supreme over all creation, and then how Jesus is supreme over the church, and then lastly, um, how we can live a reconciled life. So first, Jesus is supreme over all creation. Jesus is the divine ruler over all. We must submit to him in our wills. Uh, I let go of my desires and wants and take on his. What does he say I should be desiring? We must submit to him in our plans. What does he want of me today? How will I respond when he adjusts my plans? We must submit to him in, in our circumstances. What does he want to do in my life? What does he want to teach me? How would he use me to glorify himself? We must submit to him in our marriages. When I want to prove to my spouse that I'm right and he or she is wrong, I must rather submit to Jesus who wants me to love my husband and wife, or wife. We must submit to Jesus in our church. When I would hold on to bitterness or anger, even desiring to punish the one who hurt me, I must submit to Jesus who wants me to forgive just as he has forgiven me. Uh, and then secondly, Jesus is the glorious creator of all. This means that he knows me. He knows every intricate detail. He made me, and I must reckon with that. Does the clay complain to the potter about how the potter made it? No. Uh, I must trust my glorious creator with the way he made me. He owns me too. He made me and he owns me. I am his. I am his precious creation. Though he owned me from the day of my conception, because of my rebellion against him in sin, he had to purchase me back with his own blood. God, our creator, uh, gave his life for the creature. And so we can rest in him. All that God made exists for his glory. So we must glorify him. 
And then Jesus is also the eternal sustainer of all. He sustains the universe and he sustains us. We must trust the eternal sustainer to sustain us. We will feel like our lives are falling apart. Or sorry, when we feel like our lives are falling apart, remember, we can trust Jesus to hold us together. Remember from our text that in him all things consist. That includes you and that includes me. Jesus isn't just supreme over all creation. He's also supreme over his church. So we have to remember that Jesus is the head of our church. We must submit to his authority in all things. We must follow his direction and purposes. He has commanded us in his word. We must come to him for sustenance and care. Jesus is the founder of our church. Is he preeminent in your life? Is he the reason that you come to church? Is he the reason you sing? Is he the reason you fellowship with his people? Is he the reason you serve? Is he the reason you pay close attention during the preaching? Is he your hope for the future? Jesus is the fullness of God in our church. Jesus must be central to the life of our church. We gather together to fellowship around him, to worship him, to see his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, Jesus makes peace with God for all. This is what every soul longs for. This is what is wrong at the core of every person. Uh, we don't have peace with God. And so this is the reason uh, we kind of go around at different pacifications. Uh, even as a baby, we have pacifiers. Uh, we're just looking for peace with God. This is the longing of our souls. So people turn to all sorts of things, drinking, to drugs, to outbursts of wrath, violence, hatred, new age practices, Buddhism, and so on, in a hopeless search for peace. But we have to remember that peace with God only comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. And as Paul went through here and pointed out who Christ is and what he's done for us, uh, he's not really arguing. Uh, he just shows us in the text what Jesus is like, and we would be fools to reject this, and we would scoff at the name of Jesus to ignore it and to live our lives like God doesn't exist. Uh, and then third, we learn that we must live a reconciled life. So we can do that by remembering that we were enemies. The reality is that we were estranged from God, even enemies of his. This ought to humble us. It ought to make us feel small and embarrassed. We were estranged and enemies of God, confirmed in our wicked acts against him. We can rejoice that we are reconciled. All who have been reconciled can rejoice in the incredible change that God worked. He took us from the position of opposition to a position of peace. We were estranged enemies and he brought us near. We were rebellious adversaries and he made peace. We can rejoice in this. We recognize the great cost of our reconciliation and rejoice in what God has done. Realize that we will be perfected. Our reconciliation not only impacts our present condition, but it seals our future. The end is decided. We'll be presented fully sanctified before God. This doesn't mean that we won't sin after we get saved. Instead, this means that as a part of reconciliation, God has removed our sins and given us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Typically, we refer to this as our justification, but here it is related to our reconciliation. We can, can be at peace with God because we are sinless in Jesus. 
And then we can respond by being faithful. Uh, God is always faithful. We're, we're not. And so we have to remember uh, to walk by faith in God and rest in His uh, strength and faithfulness. We must not stray from the gospel. We are grounded and steadfast in the truth of the word. We keep our eyes on its hope. We are, there are so many things tempting us to doubt the sufficiency of the gospel and to be moved away from the work of Jesus on the cross. So, again, as we've talked about in this lesson, uh, Christianity is about the person and work of God through Jesus Christ. And so we need to hope in who Jesus is and not just uh, enjoy the things that we are granted in him. And so some ways that we do that is we go to legalism instead of loving the Savior. And so we say, I have to do things a certain way in order to be good enough for God instead of resting in the person of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Or maybe we're sentimental. Uh, I have to feel a certain way about my faith where we are Christians because we enjoy doing Christian things and we enjoy the tradition instead of uh, enjoying and loving the person of Jesus. Uh, materialism. I find hope and joy in my possessions. I love things more than people. I love uh, creatures more than the Creator. And so all of these things are distractions from the joy and hope that we can have in loving the Savior uh, rather than getting distracted by other things. And so my encouragement for you tonight is that you would turn away from the things that you're finding hope in uh, that are created by the Creator and instead turn to the Lord Jesus Christ who is our Creator. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus and that you were pleased to have the fullness of God dwell in Him. Help us to live reconciled lives and to remember uh, what Jesus has done for us and that he's the greatest and that he is the one for whom we can live our lives. Uh, help us to uh, not be distracted by the things of the world, but to look to Christ and to trust in him and walk by faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.